All right, you ready for this? Ready. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Sorry we missed you last week, but I'll get into uh, where I was a little later in the podcast when I connect with Chris Newmarker. This podcast is going to be structured a little bit differently, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it. We're going to focus on uh, issues pertaining to employment, finding employees, retaining employees, recruiting employees. We've got an interesting uh, trio of guests today. First, I'm going to speak with Joe McClung. Joe is president of Floodgate Medical, which is a search firm that obviously works with medical device companies to help them find talent. Full disclosure, Floodgate Medical is sponsoring this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. And while we don't normally do longer interviews with sponsors, the subject matter was so relevant to what Floodgate Medical is doing. I uh, started this episode with a longer, not a long, but a longer uh, interview with Joe McClung. We talk a bit about the med tech market overall. Then I'll connect with Emma Pluff. She is Vice President of People and Culture at Vicarious Surgical. I'll talk with Emma about what Vicarious is doing to recruit tech folks into the surgical robotics field, what tricks they're employing or tools they're employing, not tricks, and uh, what kind of culture they're trying to build there at Vicarious. Finally, uh, we'll connect with Elizabeth Steele. She's a vice president at Microspec Corporation, not too far away from me in New Hampshire. They're a manufacturer and they're having difficulty finding employees like a lot of folks are. So they took an unusual step, and I won't say much more than that. They're, they're going, I think, above and beyond. Uh, it's not something I've heard of other contract manufacturers doing, but uh, we'll hear directly from Elizabeth Steele in our third interview. Finally, uh, Chris Newmarker and I will have Newmarker's Newsmakers. We're only going to do three this week just to uh, keep the episode length uh, around an hour so uh, we'll uh, we'll have a great time. You'll hear some important news, some uh, some troubling news, and some hopeful news. So so it's great to be back on the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Very grateful to have you here. So before we start this podcast episode, I just want to remind you that Device Talks West is happening on October nineteenth and twentieth in Santa Clara. It is, uh, as I record this, Friday, August 19th. Our early bird rate expires tomorrow. We've got a draft agenda up there. We put it up there this week so you can begin to see who the speakers are. We will have folks from Abbott and Boston Scientific and IBM Research and Penumbra and Outset and Shockwave and Johnson & Johnson and Canary Medical and Zimmer Biomet and Intuitive. And I could go on and on, but that's a, a great start. So please go to devicetalks.com to find out more information. Now, let's begin this podcast episode in my interview with Joe McClung of Floodgate Medical. Well, Joe McClung, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. So we're talking all about uh, recruiting and hiring and, and building of cultures. So great to have you on the podcast to sort of provide an expert observer's opinion of, of where we are with things. Before we get into that, tell me a little bit about Floodgate Medical. Floodgate Medical, one of the premier recruiting firms for MedDevice. I've got a team of 20 recruiters, most of us based here in Tampa, Florida, but all the way, uh, some from California and Colorado. And we've been at it for 20 years. You know, and this year we're on track to place uh, over 400 people in this space. So 
talent is what we live and breathe. And so I'm I'm glad to be able to share what we love here with you, Tom. Are you in OUS and US or, or primarily one of the really, really US focused? Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you focus, I'm curious, do companies like yours focus on a specific type of talent like engineering or regulatory, or do you run the gamut? Yeah, we, we do. We do run the gamut. It has to be med device specific, yep. right? To make it, yeah, for us to really add value. In our practice, we'll skew more on the commercial side. So okay. anyone that's talking customer, but we've really helped a lot of our customers come alongside them as enterprise and to be an extension of what they do, not just someone that gives them a resume. That's our model. So we get deep and wide with our clients. Okay. So it seems like, let's talk about the state of the market. It seems like the last six months, at least according to the newspapers and general media, you know, things are getting harder. If you're on LinkedIn now, you're seeing more layoffs here and there. And suddenly what was like this market that was unbelievable opportunities for applicants appears to be drying up. At least that's the, the feeling you get. What is What do you actually see from the, from the front lines? Well, I can tell you, it has been for the last year, you know, post-pandemic, one of the frothiest markets we've seen in years. Okay. And really getting candidates' attention. They were getting four or five calls a week. Compensation went up on our salary guide. We saw a 16% increase overall on salaries. Yeah, that was uh, from 20 to 21. So it's okay. a 2020 salary guide, but that data is from 2021. And it's uh, really that high of a jump. So it's been from frothy to slightly cooling is where I put it, where you're able to access candidates more. But in med device, we always lag the overall market and market economy. So I saw that in 09. We're seeing it now where it isn't as drastic of a change in our space. So we're seeing some softening, but really the news is leading more than the reality in my mm-hmm. opinion. Interesting. So what has been, um, let me actually focus on that salary jump first, the seven, 16 to 17%. How does that compare to other years? Is that, it sounds like a lot. Is it a lot? Yeah. I mean, 16 to 17%, <laughs> usually you're seeing three to four, you okay. know? And yeah. so you're going 4X average in one year. That's impossible to keep up with and where it gets really difficult for companies is when they're bringing on new people that are making more than the people they've had before. And so they're really having to figure out how they create compensation equity with those drastic jumps like that for their existing team. What do you think is driving that increase? I mean, obviously it's the need to recruit talent, as you said, but is it competition from tech players for folks? Is it something to do with the recession? Is there any two or three things you can sort of point to that would account for that increase? You know, it's a it's a classic thing of supply and demand. Yeah, everyone came back post pandemic and all started hiring at once. At that time, you had two groups of people. You had people that were comfortable and still nervous, so there's less supply because they're not even talking to anybody. You know, and you had some people that hey, taken they left early, right? They retired. We heard that in the macro sense. Mm, There's less supply in the market and more jobs at a certain time that all came at once. That meant people were getting creative. What do we need to do? All right, we got some. Where do we need to go? How do we get higher? So it started just like we saw across the entire economy, that pricing rise at the same time, just like you would in oil, but it had the impact in talent. Interesting. And the other macro trend that we've heard about is, you know, work from home, flexibility, things like that. Is that coming into play with the jobs you placed this year? 100%. Yeah. We used to, you know, a director of marketing, it was like, we need them 
at our office, no questions. They need to relocate. They need to be there. And now we're getting those roles and different ones. Hey, they can be, can they come in, you know, a few days, you know, a week, a few a month. And I actually see in companies are telling me that they're benefiting from that because they're getting better talent, higher quality talent, and they're still getting the impact. As long as someone's willing to travel and make that personal connection that's necessary to get the trust, to get speed, and then do the day in, day out remote, it's working well, I think, for both the employers and the employees, and they're much more open than they ever were pre-pandemic. That's interesting. That must just really open the field for you guys and folks who do your kind of work, whereas before you were geographically limited to a certain extent, unless people were willing to move. Now Absolutely. You, yeah. Fascinating. So where are we headed? Let's, let's uh, I guess, from a, an employer or someone who's going to be hiring someone is listening to this right now or wants to, or needs to hire a bunch of someone's. What is your forecast or what advice would you give them looking forward? If you're looking uh, to hire, no matter what the market is, you want the best of the best, right? Everyone wants that, you know, that rock star talent. To do that, no matter if it's a great market or a soft market, you've got to stand out. So I think one, people need to remember to lead from culture. People are attracted to great cultures. I think the millennials said they would accept, you know, an 80% of current pay if they agreed with the culture. So you got to lead with that. Mm-hmm. They've got to be able to figure out how to stand up above the noise. I mean, if you're just doing the same thing, putting the same boring LinkedIn post out there, you're not going to grab the attention of the, the really unique candidates. You've got to break above the noise to get noticed and then have a real authentic conversation and be prepared to move the process fast. Right? So many times people have one more person, three more people to talk to, and great candidates are kind of like, you know, eight-day-old milk. They can spoil it, you know? So if you're not willing to go, you're going to miss out on the best of the best Interesting. in any market. It's funny that you mentioned uh, posts. We'll, we'll, in one of our other interviews coming up, the HR lead from Vicarious Surgical talked about a video she did that produced a lot of leads. So yeah, creativity certainly is uh, is getting rewarded. How about on the, I'm happy where I am perhaps, but... 16 to 17% sounds pretty good. <laughs> what advice do you have folks who uh, who might be interested in a jump? Yeah, I, I would say people that are, you know, it depends if they're interested. One, learn. Hey, at very least, when you have a conversation with somebody, you can learn that where you are is the best place you could be. So that doesn't hurt you. If you're actively searching, don't treat it passively. People aren't going to just come to you. You've got to, I always tell people, treat it like launching a product, right? The only difference is, the product in this case, if you're looking for a job, would be the product's Tom. Yeah. So what's your value you're bringing to the market? Does your marketing material, your LinkedIn page, and your re- resume harmonize with the value? Does it say it easily and clearly? And then finally, you've got to start connecting and making sure that you have a system to follow along when you're connecting with people. If you're not executing on that on a consistent basis, you're not, it's nothing's going to happen. It's not going to fall on your lap. And there's two questions I always tell people ask when they're networking, because most of your friends aren't going to know of a job. Mm -hmm. So one, what's a company that's really impressing you in the space right now? Mm -hmm. Do you know somebody that works there? Because that's that's what, if they're impressing you, they're growing, they're usually the ones hiring. So you get that connection. That's where you find it. The second thing is, hey, I've always respected you, Tom, when we did these podcasts together. So do you know someone you respect as well? And can you introduce me to them? Those two questions will keep that networking going. And if you consistently do it, set a goal every day, three or four, 
you'll get it done because that usually that second, that third connection is where most jobs live. And as a recruiter, I hate to say this, but 83% of jobs are through network, you know? Um, so that is where most likely you're going to get most of your value. Also, hey, network the recruiters. If we've got a client that has a need that lines up with your background, awesome. We're going to do everything we can to make that connection. That's what we did. Yeah. Do you want people like reaching out to you just saying, hey, I'm here if, if something comes up? I love it because you know what? We are in the relationship business. We want people to connect. We want to get their information. So when it does emerge, because you know, it could change tomorrow, we could get that ask for that, you know, director of national accounts. That's exactly what they need. Or um, so we have that. But second, we've created a lot of material that helps people do what they've never, most people haven't done in years, which is the job process, how to interview, all of those things. So if, even if we can't marry you with one of our great clients, if we can give you an arrow to put in your quiver that helps you get that next best opportunity, our mission is improve lives. So if we're doing that by uniting great people, great companies, even if it's one, not one of our clients, we've achieved our mission. So call us. So you mentioned earlier on the importance of social media posts for employers. How about for employees? If you're looking for a job, how much attention should you give to LinkedIn and Twitter or anything else? Yammer, I don't know what else is out there these days. When you go to get found, you go to a website, right? So you've got to look at LinkedIn as a candidate, as your personal website. So you've got to think of things, the keywords, SEO keywords, because as a recruiter, someone's going to come to me looking for something very specific, a certain sort of engineering experience. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to put that in the keywords. And if you have that experience and it's not your LinkedIn, you're not going to pop up my search. I'm never going to reach out to you and present that great opportunity. Mm -hmm. So make sure that the value you have is spelled out clearly in LinkedIn, that it looks good. Get Spend the money for the professional headshot because, <laughs> you know, I mean, no that, wedding tuxedos. Need, yeah. We don't need the cutoff person. <laughs> you know, that's the first thing. We're humans. We look at faces, right? So yeah. don't care who you are. Make that impression look good uh, and make it easy to understand. So absolutely, that profile matters. And one thing I'll suggest, a lot of people, they're like, I applied to the job. Cool. That's not enough, okay. right? If you click the, the apply, follow up, look through the uh, who's in there. Do you know somebody that's a second connection you can reach out to? Do you know somebody maybe that works for the company in a different part of the country? Reach out to them, let them know, make a connection. Because if someone within the company is able to say, hey, Tom just applied. I know Tom from way back when. He's awesome. Mm -hmm. You're going to get the call back. If you don't, it sometimes gets lost, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it, there's big, the big companies, lots of resumes, lots of moving parts. Don't leave that up to fate and do the extra step. Because even if you didn't need it, I can tell you as a former leader and hiring manager, someone that came through a second channel or got to me a different way, their bar was already here because they showed initiative, they showed grit, all the things people look to hire for. Excellent. All right. Well, that's great advice. So, so final, final question. I don't know if I already said final question, but going forward, you said it went from frothy to less frothy. I forget the terminology, but where do you see things go in the next six months? Are we going to get back to frothy again or is it going to be less frothy? 
Well, Tom, if I can predict economic outcomes, and <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I probably wouldn't be doing this. But I, I see it. I see it cooling. Right, it went from frothy to uh, maybe a little bit of hot white. You know, so <laughs> it's it's not. It, it, we haven't seen volumes uh, drop uh, significantly, and I'm really curious with med device, where 83% of healthcare spends coming from the government spend how what that impact will really have right, right. we still have the large uh, the largest population on the planet all getting old at the same time healthcare is going to continue to need to be delivered so we'll see some softening but i don't think we're going to see what's going to be akin to the rest of the market mm-hmm. i hope i'm right i could be wrong though tom uh, i hope so too all right well joe it's a pleasure having you on the podcast thanks for joining us all right thank you Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? I'm um, good to be here, man. Good to be here. Yeah, we are back. We are back. We're back, back. doing this podcast. We've uh, missed last right. week. I was out. We're all busy, but uh, good to be back and starting to hit our stride for the you're fall. Doing, so. You're doing the college road trip. College road trip. It was fantastic. Nice. Had a great time. Uh, visit a lot of great engineering schools. Uh, I want to be an engineer. It was very impressive. We went to Purdue. Uh, very impressed with Purdue. Uh, Case Western was very cool. We saw some others that were also very impressive. So, uh, so we'll see. We'll see where it goes. All of my little kids right now say they want to be engineers someday, probably because their dad writes about them. So I, I hope that lasts. There we go. There we go. He doesn't. Here we go. Doesn't, my son doesn't want to be a biomed engineer. Unfortunately, he's interested in space or some nonsense. But uh, you know. What space? You think space is cool? He thinks they're, no. Yeah, he thinks sending mankind to space and, and and helping it progress forward is something he'd like to do. But eh. All right, that's fine. That sounds cool. All right, I'm je- I'm jealous. I would love. It's pretty cool. I would love to do that. <laughs> yeah, sounds yeah, great. Yeah, yeah they're launching yeah, a moon rocket at the end of the month, hopefully. So yeah, oh, we're times. we're we we talked a lot about that. He's definitely into all that. And we went to uh, Purdue's engineering school, which is named after Neil Armstrong. Yeah. And they have a statue of Neil Armstrong there, and they got his little bronze footprints from the moon, sort of thing. And it's hard not to get wrapped up in all of that. It was very cool. I read once how Purdue originally got that program, um, which is was fascinating. Um, it, I was reading Kara's Passage to Power about LBJ. And I guess when LBJ was trying to pass civil rights, like one of the key Congress members whose voting needed had Purdue in his district. Ah, so wow. he was meeting with LBJ in the Oval Office. He's like, like, hold on, Purdue's in your district. Wait a second. I'm going to call up the NASA administrator on the phone here. Like, we're going to get a program. <laughs> Over there, you know. Wow, they, you that's know, a like, cool story. Yeah. All right. It's a fun book. If you want to see how, like, you know, how things got done back in the day, that's it's a really good book. That's great. Way to go, LBJ. Yeah. That was awesome. All right. Well, we are, uh, as I said, back at it. We'll have three interviews today. We'll be looking at uh, various aspects of hiring and recruiting. Uh, but uh, before we get into all of that very important talk, we're going to uh, hit upon our new mark, new mark. Ugh. The new markers newsmakers. Thank you. I was I was doing my best so I could try again, but you Peter took over. Peter Piper for me. picked a pack. Of- <laughs> uh, just to let folks know, we're gonna we're gonna uh, change things up a bit. We'll do three newsmakers this week, and yeah, but I think I think three powerhouse stories from the pages of Mass Device and Metal Design and Outsourcing will do these podcasts just fine. So the greatest hits. We're not doing this because it's the middle of the summer and earnings season just ended. We're doing this because we want to hit you with impactful stories. Exactly. And this is not a supply chain issue. We have an abundance of supplies of great stories on uh, on Mass Device. So uh, can't blame the supply chain. We for have this. a glut of, of, of good 
news sto- med tech news stories on mass device right now it's like thanksgiving feast yes. on those pages just like oh i couldn't have it oh that looks really good pass I'll the have cranberry sauce we got it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always room for more mass device stories just yes. like there's always room for jello what is number three on the new Marcus Newsmakers, Chris? <laughs> well, number three on the list, uh, we've got a. Uh, uh, now we got to get serious. Actually, this is uh, uh, some some tough news. Um, oh, that we got here, but yeah. um, you know, there's a uh, you know a federal judge in New Jersey is uh, allowing part of a uh, shareholder lawsuit to proceed against uh, BD and CEO Thomas Pollan over. Uh, you know how they, um, you know, the losses over how the company communicated, you know, its uh, its performance, you know, as you know, its uh, Alaris infusion pump uh, recall got increasingly uh, increasingly serious, and uh, you know, and it's uh, it's it's still going on. Um, I mean, FDA requires them to get a five ten k cleared on the software upgrades uh, before they uh, start, you know, selling, uh, you know, selling new pumps. You know, it's still going on. Well. You know, you know that, that hold repl- remains in place. Uh, new shipments of the pumps, you know, two and a half years later, and and uh, in, in the company's in a, in a recent earnings call, uh, you know, Pollen said they don't expect a clearance during the present fiscal year, which ends September 30th. So it's still ongoing, uh, but now it looks like we got uh, you know a shareholder lawsuit moving forward in federal court in New Jersey, um, you know, over uh, over communications, you know, saying they should have, you no, know, basically they should have been getting some more warning about what was going on with us. Oh, oh well, Chris Newmarker, I, I heard someone let the uh, let some air out. Uh... In your on your side of the audio, but it sounds like uh, what was it a truck or something there that uh, air brakes? What's going on? I have both of my neighbors on the street on each side are uh, ex- have been expanding their houses. Oh, that's so always I, fun. Yes, and and, <laughs> and there's another uh, house farther down the street that uh, uh, caught fire a few months ago. Every, everybody was fine in it, but uh, but they're uh, they're getting going on repairing that too. So. So it's uh, it's one happy construction zone uh, around my house right now. So I'm seeing a giant truck pulling up with plywood and a crane. So All right, good times. Uh, so uh, that is uh, that's difficult news. And actually, all the the new markers, newsmakers this week actually has a, a bit of uh, of good news and bad for uh, for medtech. But let's get into some some good news before we yeah, finish off is, with a little unfortunate yeah. news. Well, actually, considerably unfortunate news. I mean, this is some better news here. I mean, we've got a uh, you know, GE Healthcare was leading a, a Series F uh, funding round for a Live Core for their uh, wearable you know ECG ch- you know tracking tech. So um, you know, and and you know, along with the uh, you know funding, um, you know, this just comes months after GE Healthcare um, announced a partnership with a Live Core, where you know a Live a Live Core's uh, CardioMobile six L ECG device. Uh, you know, uh, can now send direct data directly to G Healthcare's Muse cardiac management system. So, increasing partnership between LifeCore and uh, and G Healthcare. You know, and, and what's really been a hot space. I mean, you got this whole host of companies: iRhythm, Baxter's Barty Diagnostics, you know, LifeCore. They're all uh, you know you know working on like these wearable ECG cardiac monitors that you know could be like a better alternative to these traditional bulky traditional holder monitors out there that you've had your doctor strap have your your doctor strapped onto you. You know, if he's suspecting AFib, you know, and wants to find out what's going on. Um, so. So yeah, so like increasing partnership with you know G Healthcare seems to be making you know a, a play in the space you know with you know a partnership and now uh, funding for LifeCore. 
Yeah, and G Healthcare, of course, uh, spun out recently, and now it's uh, it's out doing business apparently, making making investments in companies. So, yeah. well, they're uh, in always, the process of spinning out, but yeah, uh, in the process. Yes, yeah. thank you for for slowing my roll, Kristen yes. Marker. But yes. Yeah, they're going to be an independent company. So yeah, doing doing a lot of stuff, doing a lot of really huge partnerships. Excellent. Well, Emma Pluff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here, Tom. Excited to have Vicarious Surgical back. We had your CEO on way back in the early days of the podcast and unfortunately the pandemic. And uh, your company has grown a lot since <laughs> since that first conversation. So that's the intent of this conversation is to sort of understand how you've grown culture-wise and, uh, and employee-wise. So before we get into that, though, I'd like to understand your background a bit. This is your first job, and this is kind of a trick question. I want to say this is your first job in med tech because that's what I normally ask people. But it layered in that question, I have to ask: Do you see Vicarious Surgical as a tech company or as a med tech company, or am I Ooh. parsing too much? Yeah, no, great question. I see it as a medical device company, but actually, one of the ways that I talk about Vicarious Surgical is sort of at the intersection of tech because we have this cool robotics piece mm-hmm. and medical device. So if I had to pick one category, I would say medical device, but certainly when I'm talking about it, I actually reference it as almost like in both categories, which is a pretty unique place to be. Absolutely. And that, that's why you're here. And I, and I agree with you. Like, I, and, and it's great too, I think, because for so long, it seemed like surgical systems were being developed by medical device companies. And it was great to see sort of robotic companies come into the medical device field and bring their expertise from other industries as well. So how did you find your way to Vicarious? And just give us a little bit about uh, about your background. Yeah, absolutely. So it is my first time in med tech. That said, I started off my career in biotech. And so that was my first exposure to working at a truly mission-driven company where you're helping patients. And there's you know, a sort of magic that comes with being in the pharma, biotech, healthcare, med tech space. And so I experienced that very early on in my career. From there, I sort of moved on to the energy industry. Right before coming to Vicarious Surgical, I was in the tech industry. So I've, I've definitely seen a lot in my career. And that's part of the reason that I was drawn to Vicarious Surgical, because it does land in both camps, both the tech camp as well as the medical device camp. So that's one of the things that I love most about it. In terms of how I found my way to Vicarious Surgical... One of the things that I'm extremely passionate about is the opportunity to coach and work with founders and really help them bring their vision for their company to life. And so that's what I was doing before I joined Vicarious Surgical. In the tech company I was at, it was run by two MIT co-founders. And that was a really fun scale-up. So joined that company when they're around 75 employees, was able to scale them up to over 350. Vicarious Surgical, a parallel to that, also to MIT co-founders. And when I joined Vicarious Surgical, there were around 50 employees and they also had really exciting plans for a big growth trajectory. And so it was a little bit similar in that way. And so, you know, reached out to the folks at Vicarious Surgical, had some really exciting early on conversations with Adam and Sammy and some other members of the management team. And because there were so many parallels between what I had just done in tech and what Vicarious Surgical was looking for, it ended up being a really good fit. Well, you came aboard Vicarious actually August 2020. So two years ago, if I'm doing my math right, almost two years ago. (laughs) Exactly. I'm coming up on that two-year mark. 
Wow. So set the scene for me, if you will. What is Vicarious's size currently and what are your needs for growth? Are you looking to fill positions? Are you hungrily looking for to fill positions? Describe your current situation. We are always looking to fill positions. <laughs> so it's always an exciting growth journey, but we are at the 200 mark. And that is inclusive of our campus cohort. So we have a campus cohort, which is a mix of interns and co-ops, which is Mm -hmm. about 15. And so they're with us. They're included in that 200 number. And so we actually, we do new hire introductions at all of our town hall meetings. And our most recent one was our biggest cohort of new hires to welcome to the company. And it was a cohort of about 24 individuals, a mix of campus and full-time employees. So that was really cool because we invite everyone up to the front of the room and they get to tell us a little bit about who they are, what teams they're joining, and what they're going to be doing with us. Mm -hmm. In terms of where we're expanding most right now and the roles that we're trying to fill, I'd say it's definitely within our research and development organization. So those, you know, really challenging to fill positions, (laughs) a lot of engineering openings, some in the clinical development space, others in the robotics and control space. So it's really niche talent, but we're excited to to keep turning turning over rocks, looking for the best talent, and hopefully bringing some individuals on who are going to be an awesome fit for us. That's great. How are you competing or what other industries are you competing with to draw talent? Are you competing directly with other tech companies, maybe non-robotics companies? Are you only competing with robotics companies? Are you competing? I imagine you must be to a degree with medical device companies. It feels like we're competing with everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So we're absolutely competing with other medical device companies. We're competing with other tech companies, though I'd say tech is slowing down a little bit right now just because of the state of the economy. A lot of the tech companies are absolutely going through unfortunate rounds of layoffs. So recently seen more tech talent come to the market that is sort of more open to job searching right now. And the reason I say we're competing with everyone is because certainly some of those huge names out there, we absolutely compete with Amazon, Google, Tesla, those big names. We're absolutely finding ourselves in competitive situations with some of those large companies as well. And let me see, how are you positioning the company in that, in competing with those larger players? Do you find the medtech medical device card, one that could be played successfully to entice people as you were to sort of join a company with a, a mission beyond just creating the, the next new browser, or whatever they create now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dating myself, but but does a medical device uh, sort of point sell these days to folks? Yeah, Tom, I would say absolutely. It's a huge part of the sell. And one of the really cool things is that I think about our talent acquisition team, as well as our hiring managers, and so many of those folks are coming from the med tech space themselves. And so they've experienced that passion and magic and mission-driven organization firsthand. And so when I listen in on their calls, when they're talking to candidates, or if I hear about how they're positioning it, that comes through in their conversations. Even if they're talking to a candidate who's never worked in medical device or a similar industry. And so the way they talk about it, it's so vivid that the candidates get really curious about what they're describing and how they're describing the difference of working in a mission driven organization. And oftentimes, those talent people and the hiring managers, they're talking about their own first experience working in a mission-driven organization. And so it's genuine and it's authentic and it's real. And I think that's one of the things that 
candidates look for most. They're looking for connection and they're getting excited by the stories of others who have experienced that. So I'd say the mission piece is, is critical in our ability to get talent interested. And then I think there's a whole host of other things that go along with the mission. For example, the culture that we've been able to build up by Curious Surgical, as well as the people and the amazing team that they make up here. So let's talk a bit about that that culture. What type of atmosphere setting are you creating for folks? And, and what, what do you think people are finding uh, attractive? So it's impossible to talk about the culture here without first talking about just how collaborative it is. And that's one of the things that I heard on the way in. And then as soon as I got here, as soon as I came in the door, I experienced it firsthand myself. And so that's one of the things that I feel, like I feel the energy, I feel the collaboration, I see it every day. And a way that I see it every day and that I've experienced it multiple times here at Vicarious Surgical, you think about those ad hoc conversations that happen when people are in the office and we're a hybrid work model. So those sidebar conversations still happen. You might be in a group of five people and you know a topic relevant to people and culture comes up. If I'm not there or a member of my team isn't there, those five people will say, you know what, this really relates to people and culture. We should really bring Emma in or a member of the team. And I've seen that happen so much here. And it just speaks to how collaborative people are, how thoughtful they are to make sure that the right people are in the right conversations. So that's number one. I'd say the other two things that stand out in my mind about the culture here, we're absolutely a company that tends to attract people that love to learn. And so that also results in us having a lot of people who are really passionate about teaching others because they're so interested in learning themselves. Even though they're busy, they are more than happy and excited if you come by to tell you what they're working on. And then the third thing I'd say, which brings me back to my time in tech, is that we also tend to attract people that like setting really ambitious goals and working for a company that sets ambitious goals. And so we have that cool, fast-paced culture that mm-hmm. you tend to find in the tech industry. Now, do you find the medical device industry obviously has to answer to the FDA and other regulatory bodies that the tech industry doesn't need to? They just have to really speak to the market. Is that something that people find to be a hindrance, to be a reason not to become involved with medical devices? Has that ever come up at all? And do you ever lose a candidate because of that? So it's a really good question, and it's an interesting one. I have not had it come up in an interview with a candidate before. I think it probably depends on what positions they're interviewing for. And also, when I think about the teams within Vicarious Surgical, I certainly think there's some teams that if you join them, their almost like microculture within our larger culture tends to skew a little bit towards that traditional medical device feeling than other teams. And so it very much depends on what team you're looking to join in terms of how much the FDA and those regulations might impact your day-to-day or how quickly you can work, things like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So two more questions. Number one, I've used the engineer's term kind of blanket, but what type of engineers are you most in need of or looking for, looking to bring in most? Are they software? Are they hardware? A mixture of both? Yeah, I would say absolutely a mixture of both. But I would love to continue bringing in more software engineers. I'd say that's where our primary focus is right now. Interesting. Okay. And finally, you uh, you alluded to this earlier. You've got a hybrid system there set up. My question is, 
post-COVID, how have you sort of handled things? Did you go work from home entirely, even though I know you had fewer people when the lockdown first started? How did the office setup change since August 2020? Are you back to work full-time in the office? What, what is? How are you operating going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So we were never 100% remote. Mm-hmm. So throughout the pandemic, we always had at least a handful of people in the office. These were mainly the folks in our R&D division. And so the cool thing about that was it felt very much like a seamless transition when we decided to bring more of the teams back to the office. There wasn't this stark contrast of the whole team is 100% remote and now we're going to bring people back. And so it coincided with one of the exciting events for us. So when I first started in August 2020, we were in a Charlestown, Massachusetts office. Then when we decided to bring people back in April of the following year, we were announcing our new building in Waltham, Massachusetts. And so that's around the time we started to bring more teams back to the office, which was really cool because we had a kickoff event to open our Waltham office. It was outside. So people felt more safe during COVID. And people were just so curious and excited to see what the new space looked like. It was actually a draw for people to come into the office. Mm -hmm. And since it was a new building, we had plenty of space. So socially distancing was really easy in our new building. And so honestly, I feel like we are so lucky in that regard because our employees did such an amazing job at helping us bring them back to the workplace. And it was just smooth. And I'm so grateful for that. In terms of where we are now, we very much talk about it as a flexible model. So we're a hybrid work model, but it's really around flexibility for our employees, meaning that most employees are in the office, I'd say at least two to three times per week, some more, but it's really role dependent and it's also dependent on your personal life. So the reason I keep emphasizing flexibility is because that's what we found people want most in today's world. So when I think of flexibility, things that come to mind for me are make sure you're home at dinner time to have dinner with your close connections. And one of the things that I've also noticed at Vicarious Surgical, which I haven't experienced so much at other companies, is people are really open about their calendars. So I'll pop on someone's calendar and I'll see, you know, daycare drop off or walk dog mm-hmm. or run and gym. And <laughs> it's, it's just a, an open culture that way. And they don't just put out like like I do. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a weight is lifted because it we recognize that we're we're people and it's okay to have a life. And as long as you're getting your objectives checked off, that's what's most important. So we have an OKR setting model, objectives and key results. And I honestly think that's one of the reasons we're able to have so much flexibility is because we're setting those OKRs on a quarterly basis. Everyone knows exactly what they're accountable for, and they set the deadlines, whether it's a commitment or a stretch. And as long as you're progressing and achieving those, you know, we trust people to to manage their own lives. And a lot of times that does mean flexibility. That's very healthy. Speaking of your offices, you're in the the former Boston Dynamics building. So very kind of cool, cool legacy building there. And I'm glad you're in there. But will you you hire someone from uh, Boulder? or San Francisco to work there? Or do you have to be able to come in a couple of times a week? We do have a handful of employees who are remote. So yes is the answer. We would absolutely consider candidates in other locations. 
we've had some candidates relocate to the Boston area. And we also have some candidates who are out of state who come and visit the Waltham headquarters on a certain cadence. Interesting. Final question, but opportunity for you. What is the best way if, if someone's listening to this and they're interested in applying for a job, what's the most effective way to, to cut in line and become first and, and to get hired at Vicarious Surgery? What, uh, what's the front door and what's an interesting side door story? Any, any interesting stories as to how people uh, found employment there? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'd say the best way to get to the front of line is finding one of our talent acquisition partners on LinkedIn. They're all extremely active. They love having conversations with the new connections. And so they're constantly posting new jobs online. Our head of talent acquisition, her name's Alina Lizanke. You can also find her online. And so that's my number one recommendation is either make a direct outreach to one of our talent acquisition professionals, or even better, if you have someone in your network who works at Vicarious Surgical, we have a really strong employee referral program. And in our recent new hire cohort, five of those 24 were from employee referrals. And so it's always great if you can find someone in the company that you know. Side door stories. Uh, (laughs) You know, I would love to hear what other companies' side door stories are. None come directly top of mind. But one of the cool things that I will shout out, which (laughs) was really fun and interesting to participate in, a company called Jammer, I recently made a video for one of the roles that I'm hiring, which is a senior HR business partner. It got posted on LinkedIn. And all of a sudden, as soon as that was posted on LinkedIn, and it's sort of like a new format for posting jobs, the influx of applications just went through the roof. And so I'm very excited to see if the hire I end up making for that business partner role is a result of that video that was posted, which you can see on my LinkedIn profile. (laughs) It's only about two weeks old. And so it's something new that we're trying. But uh, I can say so far, signs are pretty positive. I will take a look and uh, and I'll share it on my network too. And let's see what happens. Let's blow up the internet. So fantastic. Well, I'm a great, great stuff. Uh, as I said, I'm always, I've been a fan of Vicarious since uh, talking with Adam Sachs a couple of years ago. And uh, I look forward to following your your success and progress going forward. Awesome, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for the conversation today. All right, Chris Newmarker. Now let's roll into uh, an unfortunate number one on uh, the Newmarker's Newsmakers. Yes. Uh, I mean, number one on the list, we've got uh, FDA uh, saying that you know they, they have reports of 44 more deaths uh, in the uh, Philips uh, you know, CPAP ventilator respiratory devices recall. So, I mean, it's just, just getting more serious uh, all the time. I mean, at this point now, like, FDA's death reports, you know, deaths related to this recall are up to 168. You know, there there have been 69,000 medical device reports uh, filed related to the the recall, um, and you know, Philips is still very much, you know, you know, working through through the recall right now, which involved millions of devices, um, and uh, you know, they uh, it's been put them out of the respiratory devices market. And this comes on, you know, at, at about the same time, Philip said they're going to be uh, doing a change in the corner office, you know, right. they're, uh, they're going to be, 
you know, promoting Roy Jacobs into the uh, to, to be their new CEO. They're going to have a special uh, shareholders meeting coming up. And then, you know, if, if all goes as planned, he'll uh, take over the company October 15th. You know, and Jacobs has been uh, the company's connected care chief business leader. Um, but back in June 2021, he took over responsibility for handling the respironics recall. So, so yeah, he'll be... Um, He's been he's been managing this recall for them, and now he's uh, he's going to be running the whole show over at Phillips. There will be a, a lot of eyeballs on him, sure, come uh, October fifteenth when he, when he takes over, and uh, not not under the most ideal circumstances, but uh, hopefully Phillips can uh, and Roy Jacobs can find a way to turn things around. Yeah, quickly. I suspect he has a lot to do right now, but uh, you know, it'd be great to get him on here. Uh, you know, you know, eventually to talk about what he's you know doing with the company. Absolutely. For sure. All right, Chris Newmarker. Great stuff as always. Like we said, we're going to stop at the top three. And I've got one more thing to add here. Go ahead. One more thing. We've got, um, we're actually uh, working on a uh, roundup of uh, surgical robotics companies to, uh, to watch. I mean, just basically the, uh, you know, companies that have been uh, getting a lot of headlines in uh, mass device uh, you know, over the past year or so in the surgical robotics space. So watch out for that rolling out like any day now, like uh, on, uh, on mass device. That's great. And we uh, unfo- unrolled or rolled out our uh, draft agenda for Device Talks West. It's happening on October 19th and 20th. You can find the agenda on devicetalks.com. And uh, it is Friday the 19th. Our, our early bird rate is expiring uh, the next day or so. So if you want to save some money on registration, please do not delay. Uh, register for uh, Device Talks West. Again, go to devicetalks.com for more information gotta be there or be square perfectly said well elizabeth Steele, welcome to the podcast thank you tom glad to be here thanks for uh, for sharing your story about what you're doing the the lengths you're going to uh, to recruit new workers but before we get into that i think it would be really helpful for folks to learn what microspec does well, we specialize in advanced medical extrusion services, and we extrude precision medical parts that are among the smallest and most complex in the industry with some of the tightest tolerances. I call us the mission impossible of extrusion because we like to be at the innovative edge of coming up with new ideas that will support our customers who are among the foremost suppliers of medical devices in the world. But we also then transition and support our customers from that innovation into high volume production. And we have played pivotal roles in the development of the PIC catheter business with CR Bar to launch that during the late 90s. And Tim here, who started the company and happens to be my husband, extruded the first dual lumen PIC catheter early on. And so he has always gravitated towards being at the cutting edge of the next technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we pride ourselves on operating in that niche. We do single lumen, multi-lumen, thin wall profiles. We specialize in all of those areas. And in addition to caring about the quality of our product, we care about our associates, our customers, and we're very committed as a company to being socially responsible and to making sure that we are impacting our community in the world in a positive way and and hopefully making it a better place in the process. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll we'll, we'll get into uh way you're you're looking to do that with this project, but let's talk a bit about your growth just in general. How have things gone over the last couple of years knowing that that question includes a couple of really rough and tumble years? How was Microspec doing prior to COVID and sort of how have you done through in 
quote unquote post or whatever era we want to call what we're in right now? Yeah, well, so prior to COVID, we were doing very well and we were growing and developing our R&D business and continuing to support our high volume production. And then COVID hit. And obviously all of us were unprepared for everything that would be coming, but there were some silver linings we discovered during the process. So when COVID hit, we were one of the companies that were essential, and we continued to work through that time without any clear understanding of what might be coming our way. So it was a very scary time for the company who wanted to make sure our employees were protected and for employees who were worried about their health. But we implemented and spent about $800 to $1,000 per employee instituting a bunch of safety measures, including the plexiglass barriers. Obviously, we had masks for people. We also hired an in-house custodian so that we could sanitize surfaces. We had UV HEPA air filtration put throughout the building. We Mm. created heating pods, and we got electrostatic sprayers as well. And we're proud of the fact that we never had an in-house spread of COVID. Our associates made a lot of sacrifices to keep themselves safe. And although some people chose to stay home for a short period of time, the majority of people were working during all of that time. And we were able to keep paychecks flowing and plastic flowing and our customers supported. I will say that during that time, for the first time ever, because typically when there's a downturn in the economy, Microspec has been protected because we're making devices that are helping people. And unfortunately, people get sick during downturns in the economy. But in this case, hospitals shut down elective surgery and a lot of our parts go into elective surgery. So our production business went down, but at the same time, R&D boomed. So we were very busy with uh, prototype business and that business, although the production business fell about 40%, R&D took its place. And so we stayed flat revenue wise that year, but as I said, we're busy. So people started coming back how are things, you know, let's talk now that you're, uh, we're, we're through hopefully, well, whatever we were through. I, I'm always careful to say what, what, where we are, but how are things looking now for, for Microspec? Well, yeah, a year ago when people were feeling more comfortable with everything, our R&D continued to boom. Production work came back with a bang as if to make up for lost time. And so we were never busier than we were last year. We grew over 28%. And we were still understaffed because we had lost some people in terms of their choosing not to come back to work. But the people, the silver lining is that the people that were at work and the managers here discovered efficiencies. And we were able to manage this increased growth with our current team. But unfortunately, we couldn't find people who we could hire during that time either. It was very unexpected because typically we would hire people without an issue. And we have a very high retention rate, and our typical tenure is over eight years for employees on average, which is very high. And we typically don't have a churn rate. If we hire people, they stay. And so that was very unexpected that we weren't able to attract talent. No, I think a lot of people have been caught by surprise. But how are things? I'm just curious. The last we were hearing about the shortage in in personnel, and before we get into all of that, Tell folks where you're you're located. You're kind of uh, you're kind of in a tucked away spot. That's true. We're in uh, southwestern New Hampshire in Peterborough, New Hampshire. We're about an hour and fifty minutes from Boston. We're an hour from Manchester and Concord and Nashua, larger cities in New Hampshire. And we're about forty minutes from Keene, New Hampshire, a medium-sized city. So we're semi 
we're all a small town mm-hmm. and it is harder to find people there. And we have quite a few larger businesses, manufacturing businesses in the area as well, who are also competing for our labor force. That certainly makes it more challenging. How have the last couple of months been uh, since the economy's taken its uh, turn? Uh, in the, we keep hearing about the labor market sort of uh, drying up a bit and, and open positions drying up a bit. Have you uh, felt any slowdown? Have you changed your projections at all? So we are enjoying an uptick in hiring recently, and we attribute it to several different initiatives we did. So we realized that we were not being successful with our traditional way of hiring. And we also realized that with inflation as well, that we needed to be really encouraging to our staff who are here and also to hiring new staff. So we increased our entry rate by 18%, which was somewhat driven by some research we had been doing six months previous that had told us that um, we were out on a trip in Montana with an Uber driver and said he was thinking of moving over to McDonald's because they had just raised their rate to $25 an hour, which shocked us. And he said also that his parents worked in real estate and they were busy with seasonal employers who were buying property to build housing for seasonal workers because attract enough people, even with an increased labor rate into the area. So they they needed to build housing and add that to sweeten the deal. So we had been aware of that. And we started talking about, well, if that's happening, we're going to have to think about wage changes ourselves. And that's what led us to increase the entry rate. And of course, we increased the rates across the company to retain our team who we value. And then we started thinking about what more we could do. And the hiring practice, when you do get somebody interested in a job, there's not a whole lot of time. Our typical hiring process pre-COVID had taken three to four weeks with a test that people would take when they came in and in-person interviews and sometimes a callback. And we realized we didn't have the opportunity to take that long. We had to act quick if we had a good candidate. So we added onto our HR platform a text messaging capability that allowed us to increase the lead time to or decrease the lead time. So it takes one week to hire an employee now through the text messaging and the Zoom meetings, which we can do much more quickly than in-person interviews. And that coupled with the increase in entry rate, coupled with the fact that we pay 100% health care insurance and have other really big benefits has attracted talent. And we have been hiring at least 10 employees in the last three months and are still in an active hiring process right now. In fact, we've grown out of space and we're still understaffed and we're looking to hire 20 to 40 more people in the next two years. Amazing. So, and I know you took that conversation with the Uber driver in Montana to to heart with the discussion about real estate. Talk a bit about what you folks are doing in that regard. I think that's really a fascinating and forward-thinking approach. So we did find that the new protocols we are following for hiring were working, but we still know that we have a limited labor market here. And we were also hearing from our current staff about, especially the ones who were renting, that their rents had gone up quite a bit, often without notice, and they were struggling. And we know people here on staff that are trying to buy homes and there are no homes available. So those things just for our staff are concerned, but as well, in terms of attracting talent into the area, they were going to find the same issues, limited rentals, limited housing. 
So we started thinking about what Montana was doing, um, some of the employers out there, and thought, well, we need to get land or a building for a second microspec facility because we need to have a high volume facility for the business that is coming at us in the next two to four years. But as well, we need to see if we can address the housing deficit in the area. Mm-hmm. And we've discovered uh, a piece of property that was 113 acres, just a mile down the road. And we purchased that. And 13 acres is for commercial, is zoned commercial. And 100 acres is zoned residential. Tim wants to call it the 100 acre woods. After <laughs> and so we are going to be building our new facility on the part of the 13 acres. And we are actively working right now with planners and lawyers and architects and engineers on developing workforce housing on that 100 acres. And what do you think? It's an interesting approach because we think of the, the, the housing being more of a challenge down in densely populated areas like where I am or outside of more outside of Boston than where I am. I'm farther outside of Boston where there, there's just a tight supply of, of housing. And it sounds as if you have a similar situation up there in Peterborough, but you also have, I guess, the good fortune of having a lot of land available ar- around there. Is it any idea what's holding the, the housing supply back there if you have all this room to build? Well, you know, actually, Peterborough and this area, the Monadnock region in general, is often considered a best kept secret. Yeah. And people value their privacy. They value having a lot of land. We don't have a lot of properties available and we don't have a lot of land available either. Hmm. So that is part of the challenge. A lot of land is in conservation. There are a bunch of different reasons. Yeah, it's the same same situation. Still a, a dearth of available land for housing. So what do you see it looking like ultimately? Do you have a sense of whether these are going to be homes that you build and sell to employees or rent to employees? Are we thinking about townhouses, you know, maybe shared buildings, you know, with multiple units in them? Do you have a sense of what this might look like? It's still the planning phase, obviously, but we're looking at doing a variety of options there. We hope to have workforce housing that's rental as well as ownership models. There'll probably be, there might be some apartments, but we prefer the townhouse look and feel for families. And then we would also hope to have some single family homes built in the future. So this is a, you know, obviously a two to five or longer year plan as it will take some time to develop and design everything. We're also actively applying to the state for some funding the governor got from the federal government to incentivize workforce housing. So that application process is starting this fall. But even without that support, we're hopeful that we will get some support there. But even without that, we have a lot of excitement in the community about this effort. A lot of other businesses also need workers and think this is a really creative way of attracting them into the community. So we may even partner with some local businesses on the development of that land. And final question, how do you see this sort of fitting in your day-to-day? I know for a fact that you're already a very busy person. Do you see something like this that you'll partner with someone who will sort of manage the whole thing? Are you going to include sort of overseeing construction as part of your responsibilities as as a company? How does this fit into into what what your your full-time job is? That's a great question, Tony. <laughs> yeah, because it is, it's a lot and it's totally a new venture for us. We have never been in the development, real estate development business. We do have a lot of great consultants that are uh, advising us and supporting us. And I think ideally we would probably have a project manager that would be coordinating that uh, during this process. So that would be my 
goal, but it is very exciting and it really fits into our commitment to be socially responsible. We want Peterborough to be proud of the housing that we design and build, and we're excited that we're going to be able to support families in coming to the Peterborough area or, you know, relocating from where they are now to new housing. And, you know, that really underscores our wanting to make the world a better place and supporting our employees in that process. That's great. Well, you're clearly connected to the area. I'm just curious, have you had the conversation of moving to where more people are ever come up or that's not an option for for you? That's funny that you should say that. But Tim, who founded the company, as I mentioned, is my husband. He likes living in the middle of nowhere. Not that he's (laughs) the middle of nowhere, but he likes being as far away from cities as possible. So that's never an option. So the challenge was always going to be, how are we going to find talent as we continue to grow? Because although we need 20 to 40 people over the next two years, there are businesses in the area that need up to 200 people. So we're... You know, it's going to be a very competitive hiring market right now. And those are neighboring companies as we all are growing, which is a good thing, but we have a limited labor source in the area. So hopefully the the housing will attract more people into the community and help all of our companies continue to grow. That's great. Well, if anyone is, is listening and is interested in living in such a place, I can vouch for being a beautiful part of the country. So make sure you check out Peterborough in the Peterborough area. All right, Elizabeth. Well, well, great stuff. Thanks for uh, for sharing your plans on the podcast. Thanks so much, Tom, and take care. All right, Chris Newmarker. That wraps up another episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Where can folks find you on social media? You've been posting some really great stories from uh, Mass Device, so they should certainly be connecting. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. You can also find me on Twitter at Newmarker. Always happy to talk with people. And, and what's the other thing we remind people? We, we, we would like them to like, follow, subscribe. That's exactly right. Regarding this podcast, like, follow, and or subscribe on every podcast player you can think of. We're on there. Uh, if you subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network, you'll not only receive future episodes of this fine podcast, but also Striker Talks and Intuitive Talks. And we'll be posting a Striker Talks episode very soon uh, with their head of trauma and extremities. So uh, make sure you do uh, subscribe so you don't miss that. And again, future episodes, but also while you're in the subscribing mood, subscribe to Medtronic Talks. They have their own channel on all those same podcast uh, applications, and uh, you'll receive two episodes of Medtronic Talks every month. So you can, of course, find them all on devicetalks.com, but why not let us send it directly to you? Make it easy on yourself. That's right. Why why, Why create work? I don't get it. Right. You know you want to listen. Exactly. Push a button. That's right. That's all it takes. Just push the button and it arrives to you. (laughs) It arrives to you. It's like, it's like faster than Amazon's one click. Like, and you don't have to wait a day. It comes right to your phone and there's no boxes to recycle. It's perfect. What's that razor business that sends sends you the razors every week? Oh, isn't that Harry's? There you go. It's like hair. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like you don't Harry's. Need to go Harry's buy a, yeah. buy a razor. So you know the, the blades are coming. Like manufactured in some super duper German plant. It's great. Like, well, it's, it's awesome. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Harry's. All right, and uh, of course, as I mentioned, the agenda for Device Talks West is up. Go to devicetalks.com for more information about that. 
And we're uh, we're kicking off our Device Talks Tuesdays season yes. on Tuesday. We'll have a great panel featuring our old friend Bill Betton and S3 Connected Health. Oh, fantastic! About healthcare at home. So it's actually very a uh, lot of registrations. People are fired up and ready to go. So uh, don't miss that episode of Device Talks Tuesday. Bill's so an incredibly knowledgeable person. So it'll be a good, a good talk. And a super nice man. Yes. So always a pleasure to talk to. Yes. All right. That is a wrap. Chris Newmarker, thanks for uh, for all the great Newmarkers newsmakers. And of course, thanks to everyone for, uh, for tuning into this episode Woo-hoo. of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of this podcast sent directly to you. Take care, everybody. Have a good summer. <laughs> <laughs>